today we're starting a new series, and the series that we're starting today is entitled The Waiting Room, The Waiting Room. And you know what's interesting about that when we kind of talk about this particular series, The Waiting Room? Before Jesus was uh, crucified, he uh, told his disciples that he wanted them to go to Jerusalem to wait. And while they are waiting, Jesus is resurrected. And they don't know, 120 of them, and they don't know how long they will have to wait because he didn't tell them how long they needed to wait. And how many of you know that whenever you're waiting, it's a little frustrating waiting. It's frustrating um, kind of waiting in long lines. It's frustrating when you get on the freeway and you can't go 65 uh, and you've got to go 15, because, and you're, so you're waiting, and you're, you're in stop and go. It, doesn't it get frustrating to you? And so when you're waiting, not only is it frustrating, but you, it makes you anxious. And sometimes people get stressed out and really get angry when they are waiting. But Jesus tells his disciples, he says, boys, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait and um, I think that all of us uh, have something in common. And that is that uh, all of us at some point in time have prayed to God. And it seemed like that he was unresponsive to our prayers. We prayed to him, we asked him, but we did not see him act or move on our behalf. And one of the things that can happen is that uh, it seems like when things are not working out that it can challenge your faith. And you say these words like, if God is quiet. And so my hope today is that uh, we can walk away realizing that we can go through wildernesses in our lives. And when we have those wilderness moments in our life, that we can still maintain our faith. And we can, even though it may seem that God is unresponsive or God is late, God is not unresponsive and God is never late. And so to start this, I want to kind of give you a story. I want to give you a story. And if you follow me over here uh, as I kind of share with you this story, this story is a story about, uh, we're going to go to the New Testament and we're going to look at uh, several people. Let me just kind of set up the story to talk about the first one, that during that time that there was, uh, uh, Matthew tells us that there was a king by the name of Herod, and Herod was a bad dude. He, he was so bad that he murdered two of his wives. Uh, Herod was so bad that um, he, was, he was not liked at all, so uh, because he wasn't liked and because he was so bad, Herod um, ordered his soldiers and ordered his army. He says that when he got near the end of his death, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to uh, arrest all the leading people in the cities. And I want you to put them in prison. And the day that I die, that I want you to kill them all so there will be mourning on my day of death. Because he knew that people really didn't like him. And so on the day that Herod died, they did not kill everyone. They let him go. So there was a big celebration. 
on the day that he died. So he was a bad dude. Would you say that with me? Herod was a bad dude. Okay. Now Herod had, uh, when he died, Rome came and they split up the kingdom. They split the kingdom up, and they split it up uh, and, and between his two sons. Now, Herod had three sons, but they split the kingdom up between two of his sons. And so they gave uh, Herod Archelaus. They gave him Judea and Samaria. And they gave Herod Antipas. They gave him uh, Galilee. And so uh, these guys... You really took over the kingdom that Herod had because Rome said he had too much power. Now he had a third son, and his third son was Herod Philip. He did not take, uh, take over anything. Now he had authority in territories, but the kingdom was split between Herod Archelaus and Herod Antipas. Now Herod Philip was still wealthy because his daddy was the king. But this is what happened. Herod, Herod Philip, he met a woman, and he fell in love. Herod married Herodias. And Herodias, they fell in love, they got married, they had a daughter. Herod Antipas, he came to visit his brother Herod Philip. And while he was visiting his brother Herod Philip, he, he, got, he was alone with Herodias, and he said to her, Herodias, I've fallen in love with you. And Herodias says, Antipas, honey, I love you too. And she divorces her husband, Herod Philip, and she marries Herod Antipas. Now, this guy has married his brother's wife while his brother is still living. John the Baptist come in on the scene. And when John the Baptist come in on the scene, he starts talking to him. So John the Baptist come in. And John the Baptist had a cousin, a very famous cousin. And who knows the name of John the Baptist's famous cousin? Jesus. So John the Baptist had this famous cousin by the name of Jesus. And, and, and John the Baptist, he came to Galilee and, Galilee and he began to preach the kingdom. And he said that his word was this, one simple message, stop it. Stop doing what you're doing because you know what you're doing is wrong. So his message was about repent. Stop it and turn from what you're doing. So John the, best, uh, the Baptist is, is preaching that, and he's calling out Herodias' and, and Herod Antipas' name. And he's like, stop. You know marrying your brother's wife while he's still alive is against Jewish law. Although they weren't Jewish, it was against the law of the land. And he was like in the public square saying, you know, you need to stop it. Herod, Herodias, you need to stop it. And he goes all over telling them about their sin and how they need to repent and how they need to stop doing what they are doing. And Herodias gets mad at John the Baptist. She doesn't like him 
because he's uh, putting her on notice. And as she's mad with him, John the Baptist wanted to let them know that God's about to do a new thing. And you in your sin will not be able to recognize what he's about to do. Now, one thing I need to point out to you is that John the Baptist was a hero among the common people. And the reason he was a hero was because John the Baptist would say whatever it is that he needed to say. And he would say what God had told him to say. He would speak from his heart. And so he was popular among the common people. And so as he began to preach, and that sets up that story. And now we have John the Baptist. He's coming in on the scene. Now, I've told you the story. Now I'm going to show it to you in the Word. Let's go to Matthew. And as we go to the book of Matthew, let's look in Matthew chapter, uh, Mark, rather, book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 17. Look at this. We're going to read it. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he married. So you see the story that I told you? You can see it in the Bible. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to. And the reason she wasn't able to, the Bible tells us why, it, it was because Herod feared John. And so Herod protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. Isn't that interesting? That, that, that John the Baptist was able to tell him the things that he was doing wrong. The king. But the king did not get offended. He recognized the anointing on John the Baptist's life. And he recognized that he was a righteous and he was a holy man. And so when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So he loved listening to, to John the Baptist preach, even though John was preaching a, an adjustment that he needed to make to his life. But he recognized the anointing. He's like, man, I just love to hear this guy preach. And so the king would just bring him and, and have him preach. And he's in prison, but he actually announced the arrival of Jesus. Remember he said that uh, there's one that's coming after me that uh, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals, his straps. For I'm going to baptize you in water, but there's one coming after me that's going to baptize you in fire. And so when John's disciples uh, were following him and Jesus came on the scene, John is like, boys... I love that you've gotten on board, but he's the one that you need to follow. And so as John the Baptist lays this out, he's now gone to prison. And he's in prison, and as he's in prison, he tells his disciples, he tells uh, some of his friends, he says, you know what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to find Jesus. And can't you see John's uh, a, a friend saying, wait a minute, John, remember you're the one who told us that he was the one, that we were to follow him. But notice what's happening. John is in prison. And because he's in prison, he's in this waiting room. And in this waiting room, John's circumstances have changed from when he was on the outside. 
And the only thing that John could see was the place where he was. He could only see his circumstances. And while he's in the waiting room, he began to, began to question if Jesus is who he says he is or if Jesus is who he thought he was, if Jesus was to him who he thought Jesus was. Isn't it interesting how when our circumstances change, then it can shake our confidence in who God is. This is what John the Baptist is experiencing at this time. And as he does this, we know what's happening. On the outside, Jesus is healing people. Jesus is, is uh, uh, causing lame people to walk. He's causing blind people to be able to see. He's, he's doing a lot for strangers, but he's doing nothing for his cousin in prison. John's like, man, we blood. I need to know, is he the one? So he has second thoughts because he's not feeling the love. And so here's the question that John sends his disciples in the book of Matthew chapter 11. John sends his disciples, verse 2 and 3. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? John says that, boys, I want you to ask him as if he is the one. You've already told us that he's the one. But John says, no, 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 I need you to go, and I need you to, to ask him if he is the one. The reason, church, is this, is that his circumstances have changed. He's in this waiting room that he's waiting for God to do something for him. He's waiting to break out of the prison. He's waiting to break out of his circumstance. He's waiting to break out of his situation. But he sees God unresponsive. When our circumstances go bad, there's something that's very uh, uh, selfish in it. And it's not that um, it's intentional, but it is real. It's not intentional, but it's real. Do, do you know that? You can see on the news tsunami that comes and kills thousands of people. And what will happen is that we'll pray for them, we'll send money, but it doesn't shake our confidence in God. But when that happens to you, your circumstances change. Then it can shake your confidence. It's something very selfish. Uh, about uh, the circumstances that we experience in our own individual lives. And it doesn't make sense, but it's true, and it happens. And so John the Baptist, he's in this situation, and, and this is how Jesus responds. This is how Jesus responds. Jesus says, I want you to go back, and I want you to tell John uh, what you see and tell John what you hear. And Jesus had them to go back and tell John what they see and what they hear because John could not see beyond his prison. He could not hear beyond his prison. He could not see beyond his circumstances. He could not see beyond the place where he was. He says, I need you to go back and I need you to tell John what you see. And, and when, he, when, he, when he tells them to go back 
And they began to go back. Uh, notice what he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 5. And I want you to let John know that, uh, that there are lame people that are, that are walking, uh, people that are deaf, they're starting to hear again. Those that have been uh, uh, dealing with sickness in their body and leprosy, they're being healed. And then those that are, are just desperate from a word from God, that I'm sending them good news. And so as they write this down, this is what you want us to go tell John? Yes, go tell John that. And the Bible says that as they turn to go and tell John what Jesus has said, Jesus says, hey guys, there's one more thing that I want you to tell John. One more thing that I want you to tell him. And make sure you tell him this, because this is the most important thing. And church, this next thing, if I could just magnify it where it's larger than this room, I'd do it. Because God, Jesus was telling John, this is the most important thing that blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Oh, my God. John is in his situation and circumstance, and, 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 and he doesn't know what to do. He can't see beyond his circumstances. And he says that, I want you to tell John that blessed is who? Anyone who does not stumble. Or it, blessed is anyone who does not fall away. Blessed is anyone who does not lose confidence. Blessed is anyone who does not lose hope on account of me. Wait a minute. Jesus, you know John is in prison. You know he's there. And you're not doing anything to, for him, but you're doing stuff for strangers. Look, notice what he says. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus says he's the greatest one. Notice what he's saying about it. He says, John is so great. There is no one. No, I think highly of John. He says, so what I want you to tell him, though. That blessed is anyone who does not stumble, fall, lose hope, lose faith because of what I haven't done for them lately. Jesus, look at this. Church, what does this tell us? It tells us this, that your circumstances, your personal circumstances, do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. John's in prison. There's a circumstance as he's in. He's like, man, it, it, it's my cousin. Has, what's he going to do for me? What has he done for me lately? And, 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 and Jesus says, blessed is anyone who does not lose hope, fall away, lose confidence, stumble because of what I have not done for them lately. And so church, notice this. You can't lose sight of when you go through dry seasons and when you go through wildernesses in your life. And when you feel God hasn't uh, done anything for you lately and you begin to feel that your circumstances is how God feels about you and what Jesus is saying, that's not it. That your personal circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God loves or feels about you. 
Because the proof of how God feels about you is what happened at the cross. Not what happened at work. Not what happened at school. Not what happened at home. Not what happened in your relationships. Not what happened on your finances. Not, it's not what happened with your kids. But the way that God feels about you, that if you are experiencing anything at the moment, that you can know that God, what God feels about you can be seen based on what he did at the cross. So the question then is, what do you do when God is unresponsive? What do you do when God's unresponsive? You look back and you remember what you've said, what God has done in the past. John was the one who experienced in his baptism. He baptized Jesus, and he, and he experienced the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit coming at the same time. So what do you do when you feel God is unresponsive? That you look back and you remember. Second thing that you should do is look outside your circumstances and reflect on what God has done. John heard about what Jesus had been doing, but he could only see and hear What's in his prison? What's in his circumstance? He's in a waiting room. And he can't hear or see what's happening, what God is doing on the outside. That you'll, you, you won't lack the confidence in him because of your personal situation. It's one of the best things that you can do. And so what we notice here is that it doesn't end well for John the Baptist. It doesn't end well. Uh, because we do recognize that uh, what happened was that um, Herodias had a teenage daughter. And her daughter came in to the party and she began to dance for the, for, the, for the people that were there, the men that were there. They were drinking and in their drunkenness, they were impressed by this teenage girl. And Herod says to her, oh, Whatever it is that you want, I will reward you anything uh, up to half of my kingdom. This was Herodias' daughter from her brother, from, from Herod's brother. And this teenage girl said to the king what few teenage girls say to their parents. Let me go ask my mama. So she goes and she asks Herodias, Mom, your husband Herod asked me what do I want because of my performance today. What should I tell him? And Herodias, who had this thing, a grudge against John the Baptist, she says, I want John's head on the table this evening because of Herod's pride because of his drunkenness. He ordered them to go to the prison and take John the Baptist and behead him. He was in prison. Jesus had the power. But it seemed that he was unresponsive. But yet we know that there were a group of religious people who mocked who beat and who crucified Jesus. And it seemed that his father was unresponsive. 
But he was not unresponsive. Because many times you can only look at what God is doing in your circumstance. But he says, I want you to go outside of your circumstance. And I want you to see what I'm doing outside of where you are. And in the midst of what Jesus had to experience, Jesus could see. He even asked his father, Father, is there any other way that I can do this? We can do this without me having to go to the cross and be killed. And and, and he says that there is no other way. And though he's hanging on the cross, he's been beaten, he's he's being crucified, and it seems like his God is unresponsive. But yet, God looked beyond his circumstance into today, and thousands of years later, we are still following a man who looked like God was unresponsive to his circumstances, but it was bigger than where he was. It was what God wanted to do through what his life would represent. As he, as, as, as he sees the day, and he's like, one day, 2,000 years later, there's going to be a group of people that living in Richmond, Rosenberg, Sugar Land, Warden, Houston, Missouri City, Katy, Pearland, that's going to need me. And I need them to know one thing. What is that one thing? Blessed is anyone. See, that was, that, see, Jesus was giving us a code when he was sending that message to John. And if we could see the code that he was giving us, that he began to see thousands of years beyond, not just the first century, not just that generation, but it was generation after generation after generation. Jesus was like standing where he was, but he was looking through generations into the future, and he was giving John a word that he gives to us today, and he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble, fall away, lose hope, On account of what I've done for them lately. Blessed is who? Blessed is who? You are the anyone. So God looks over and he says that I see your situation. I see the healing that needs to be in your body. I see your financial condition. I see your relationship. That lame person, that leper... Uh, that uh, blind person, at some point in their life, they were, in the, they were in the waiting room. But Jesus showed up on their behalf. And I believe that God can do that today. But you're not going to lose confidence in Him, amen? That you're going to worship, you're going to declare who He is, You'll never, ever have to wonder. Go and ask him if he's the one. You'll never have to go and say, honey, I want you to just intercede on my behalf because I need God. I need a word from God for him to let me know that he's the one. You're going to know and you're going to be fully persuaded that I am fully persuaded and nothing can shake me that I know who he is. And even in the midst of your worship, in the midst of your praise, the miracles start breaking out. Just as it did with Paul and Silas, who was in the waiting room. 
but they didn't focus on where they were. Oh my God, that there was a cry that came out from their prison wall. And God began to shake the ground that they were standing on. And what had bound them now had to release them, loose them, and let him go. See, Jesus changes everything. Because chains fall off. Yokes are destroyed. Burdens are removed. I tell you, today is a breakthrough day. Glory to God. Let's declare how great he is. You give hope, you give it, God. Every heart that is broken, great. Jesus, come on church, let's just lift up our voices and let's worship him.